What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Spencer Owen, otherwise known as Spencer FC. Spencer is a content creator on YouTube and the founder of Hashtag United, a professional soccer club and esports organization. We talk about how he built his audience, why he decided to start a soccer club, how he plans to bring them to the Premier League, and more. This was an awesome conversation with Spencer, and I hope that you enjoy it. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've been wearing a Whoop for several years now, and it has made a massive difference in my life. It's the only tech product that I wear 24-7, so it's pretty cool to see people like Patrick Mahomes, Rory McIlroy, Michael Phelps, and Justin Bieber wearing one also. Whoop automatically measures your respiratory rate, oxygen level, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. Sure, it might sound complex, but Whoop interprets the data for you, so it's easy to digest and actionable. And now, their 4.0 is officially back in stock and shipping in real time. But here's the best part. To celebrate that and Father's Day coming up, Whoop is offering 15% off and free shipping when you use code Joe at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter Joe, J-O-E, at checkout to save 15% and get free shipping. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is 8sleep. 8sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot. But now, I am falling asleep in record time, faster than I have before, all thanks to my 8sleep Pod Pro cover. The Pod Pro cover by 8sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. You can add the cover to any mattress. The temperature regulation will create the optimal sleeping environment by adjusting to each side of the bed based on personalized sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature. The results are proven to be true. 8sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get overall more restful sleep. And it's not just me who sleeps on an 8sleep. The product is so good that it's garnered the attention of CEOs, Olympians, UFC champions, and even the Mercedes F1 racing team. So go to 8sleep.com slash Joe, that's J-O-E, for exclusive Memorial Day savings through June 6th. Cool down this summer with 8sleep, now shipping within the USA, UK, Canada, and Australia. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, let's get into this episode. All right, guys, I'm here with Spencer Owen or Spencer FC. You have a bunch of different names online when I looked it up. So we'll get into that, I'm sure, at some point. But Spencer, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Of course, of course. Happy to do it. So the genesis of this conversation, and we're kind of talking about this now for the first time, is several people sent me articles about what you guys are doing in the UK with, with the soccer club, or football club, hashtag United. So I want to talk about your story because it was in the Wall Street Journal, it was in Vice, a bunch of other publications are writing about it now. And I think it's super interesting, especially given the digital age that we're in today with, with YouTube and social media and so forth, kind of connecting with sports more than we've ever seen before. So maybe let's start background, throw it back. I don't know how many years at this point, but my understanding is that you started making YouTube videos and that's where your initial audience came. Talk me through a little bit about that and, and what you were doing at first and how that all started. Yeah, for sure. So, so I've actually been making YouTube videos for 15 years. 
Wow. Which sounds a bit crazy because I think I actually started making YouTube videos the year YouTube started or actually wasn't even called YouTube at the time. So that ages me a little bit. So that was in 2007. I was at university or college and it was my first YouTube video. And it wasn't even about soccer stuff back then. It was actually like I was doing comedy videos. I wanted to be like a stand-up comedian or a, a radio DJ. Again, that shows the age because no one really wants to be radio DJs anymore, I don't think. They want to be YouTubers. <laughs> anyway, but I did that for quite a while without any real success, like any, any huge traction. The odd video might do well, but you know, certainly wasn't making any money from it. Funnily enough, my first jobs out of uni were football, soccer related. I'm going to use the word soccer for the purpose of this podcast. but I don't want to get you killed back home. We'll preface it with that, that you normally call it football. Today, you'll call it soccer. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Sure. Yeah. So my first job was working for a soccer Facebook game. I think like Farmville, if you remember Farmville, but it was like a soccer baseball. And I was doing a community management, social media type role. I had my background in, in, in YouTube and stuff. And that's what got me in. Weirdly, my second job, was running the social media channels of a soccer player called Vincent Company, who was the captain of Manchester City and Belgium at the time. So he's a big player. Managed to run his social channels for him. And this was quite early on. This is 2011, 2012, when people didn't really have people doing that, to be honest, like they do now. Everyone's got one now. But I really wanted to make my own videos. So eventually, uh, I ended up sort of quitting my, my, you know, my jobs and concentrating on video making because amongst having those jobs, I'd started making soccer videos and they'd started to do well. So I realized there was some sort of future for me, hopefully, anyway. So I quit my full-time job in 2013 and was able to focus on it a lot more and managed to grow my channel through making lots of different soccer content to the point where I had, I think when we started Hashtag, I had a, maybe just over a million subscribers. And that was, we started Hashtag in 2016. The big question people always ask, why is your football team called Hashtag United? Like, you know, it's, a bit of a, it's an odd name, right? And I get it. So the original reason it's called that is because when we started the team, before we even filmed it and put it on YouTube, we used to just play for fun in little leagues around London. And we all worked in social media. So we all had a social media job. And we just called us in England. I'm sure you do it in the States as well. Like in these little leagues, you just have almost comedy names for your teams. Like, you know, yep. and we called ourselves Hashtag United because like, we were basically all social media guys in our jobs. So you left your job. You were creating content on YouTube, yeah. which was mostly soccer based at this point. And you start playing in these games. I'm assuming you're playing with your friends around the towns, right? Playing. Your team is called Hashtag United. Yes. And then one day you wake up and you get this genius idea to start a real club named Hashtag United. Is that kind of generally what happened? Sort of. I mean, it's a little bit in between. So basically, we were just a team that played for fun. And I decided to film one of our games. Basically, this actually wasn't anything to do with Hashtag, but my friends, my actual friends, the same guys that played in that team from school, we had one of our friends, he died quite young, he died 23 from leukemia. So we did a charity game for him. And I said to the guys, look, do you mind me filming it and putting it on my YouTube channel? Because I think we'll get more donations that way. And obviously checked with everyone, they're okay with it. Raised a lot of money. But in the video, I said to my, my subscribers, would you like to see this group of players play again? You know, we're not high levels. Worth stressing that. We weren't, none of us had professional, play, ever played professionally. A few of us, semi-professionally, but most of us like school football, maybe uni football at most. But the audience liked it. So then we said, and my brother, who's a big part of what we do as well, on the background of the business side, we sort of sat down and said, well, we've got an opportunity to turn this into something here. So we decided to keep the name Hashtag United because we thought it's going to get people's attention straight away. A lot of people will hate it because it traditionally in England, I'm sure elsewhere, teams have like a place in their name, you know, but we were an internet team. So Hashtag is our place, if that makes sense. But it got more popular than we thought it would. So our third ever game for a group of mates was at Wembley Stadium, which is the home of English football. It's England's national stadium. We went to America on tour after three or four months. We went to Atlanta. We went to New York. We went to Serbia, went to Spain, France. Ireland, all over the shop. 
It was amazing. And these videos, some of them would get a million views, right? And the standard was average, okay? But it wasn't about that. What we did was, apart from the fact that I obviously had an existing audience, which was massive, part of it, we wanted to see it, these groups of sort of everyday men playing in weird circumstances where we got to be treated like pros because of sponsors and because of the views we had. But also, we gamified it. So what we did, I'd made a lot of content around the game FIFA, soccer game. So what we did is we put a gamification element into the videos where we basically made up our own league and said, if we win this many points across this many games, this group of individuals will win a reward. The reward being, for example, going to America on tour or wherever. So it put jeopardy in straight away that we had to win. And then these boys would get rewards. So people like it resonated with people. And we did that for two years. And then we got to a point where we were like, where do we go from here? We were like, a worse version of the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, not playing in any kind of league. We weren't as good as the Globetrotters, so we couldn't like stretch this out forever. And so we decided to try and enter the actual non-league, as it's called in England, football pyramid, which can mean over time you can get promoted to the Premier League, which is like the big dream. And we were able to start that journey in 2018. All right. So how many teams have ever actually done that? Entered the football pyramid from literally the ground up and made it to the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, in terms of entering from the ground up, I don't know because obviously we're a new club. We started, but this club's like, for example, Wimbledon back in the day, they famously went from non-league all the way to the Premier League. They won the FA Cup as well. That was a crazy journey. It's, it's very rare. There's a team called Salford City right now who are run by all ex-Man United players, Manchester United players. They've got a lot of my David Beckham's one of the co-owners there. Obviously, he's got into Miami as well in the States. So they've got a lot of money behind them. They're trying to do a similar journey. They bought a club that was in the same level that we started at. And they've got them to League Two, which is the fourth division. So it's pretty amazing what Salford have done. But even they are finding it a struggle, I think, to kick on to that next promotion. We entered the pyramid at the 10th division. We actually got two promotions two years in a row. So we won the league twice in a row. Now we're at the eighth. But obviously, every time it gets harder and more expensive. And I think if you were going to guarantee or was close to promotion to the Premier League, you'd probably need certainly hundreds of millions of pounds, I think. you know, So the idea of... The average bloke who makes YouTube videos doing it on his own is very far-fetched. It doesn't mean it can't be done with the right investments and, you know, the future of the club being looked after. I'd actually argue that you have a better chance than most people, right? Because of your audience. I assume part of the pitch, oh, right, yeah. is that you have this global audience that's distributed kind of worldwide. You have the ability to drive revenue from a bunch of different sources that maybe other clubs don't. I believe what I read on one of the articles is like, you guys have a bigger audience on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter than a lot of Premier League clubs, or at least some of them, maybe the bottom tier of Premier League clubs. So I would assume that that brings along sponsorship opportunities or revenue opportunities that other clubs don't have. And then what is the plan basically to use that money to improve the team, to increase your chances of, of getting promoted? Yeah. So we, we definitely have a advantage right now with the leagues we're at, whereby we can get sponsorships that completely obliterate any sponsorships that anyone else at our level can get because of the amount of people who watch our videos. Okay. Yeah. However, one thing we don't have our own ground. So a lot of teams that are say more local to us that are in our leagues, they, don't have anywhere near the sponsorship revenue, but they have the kind of bread and butter football revenue that we don't have, which is when you're a tenant of another ground like we are, we rent another ground. You don't get to monetize the football game experience in the same way. So food, bar money, you don't keep. It goes to your landlord. We get our ticket revenue, but food and bar money is a big part of soccer in, in, the, in this country, certainly. And then you guys pay rent, I imagine, right? Yeah, we have to pay rent, of course. And we have to pay rent one ground for our men, another ground for our women. We have another 30-acre facility where our youth team play. We're renting a lot. Then we have offices because of the content side of what we do. And that's the other thing that gets often left out of conversations is, yes, we do make a lot more money in sponsorships, but we have a hell of a lot more costs 
outside of the football team yeah. than the other teams around us because we have like 10 full-time staff. We also have an esports part of our club. So we've got two full-time FIFA professionals. We're in the eighth tier of, of soccer, of real soccer, but in FIFA, we're at the very top. We regularly compete with Man City and PSG and huge esports organizations at that level. So that costs money. In terms of the money we've made, we've actually saved a lot of it because we want to get our own ground, whether that means buying one or building one. It's not going to be cheap, but that will be when we really do become part of the local furniture community and actually become really sustainable beyond relying on, on sponsorship from YouTube. I'm assuming some of this depends on where you guys end up and the location and, and the facility, but what does something like that cost? Like, is there a number in your head that you have to like strive towards to save to be able to do that? So there's a team in our league, actually, they just, they just won our league in the season that's just finished, who their stadium is quite new and it was voted the best non-league, which means non-professional, basically, ground in the country. And they spent 4.8 million on that ground. And what typically happens with teams at this sort of level is they'll have a ground that they've had for 100 years because these teams are so old, right? And they might have, who knows how they got that ground? You know, they might have got it in 1903 for 20 quid, you know, or they might have been left loads of money by a fan at some point and they bought something. What will happen often is in this case, they sell that ground to the council. Council will build houses on there and they make, let's say they make 10 million from those houses that are built. And then they'll get half of that to go and build a brand new ground in another location, which is top notch, which is what many, many clubs have done. We obviously haven't got that real estate right now to sort of barter with. So we're going to have to go in and buy a ground, unfortunately, or build one. It's not, unfortunately, it's not like buying a house, you know, where you have a huge market of, of supply available and you can go, I've got to try and get a good deal. There's only so many grounds available that you can take and most of them are being used. So that's the tricky bit. We've actually got, you know, a decent bit of funds behind us. We have good support as well, like with people that are behind the scenes. So one of our uh, owners is the captain of Chelsea Football Club. He owns a small stake in the club. He invested in us about four years ago now. So we have, we have done deals over the years to plan for that moment. It's just kind of playing the waiting game. What we have done in the meantime is build a local community. So we have the online community. But now we do have, you know, 500 youth team players that obviously have parents that come with them that often will come to our senior games. We have our women's team, we have our men's team with people in the local area. Because even though we're called Hashtag United, we are from an area, which is Essex, which is just outside London. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, where's the team located? But it sounds like it's just a, a few miles outside of London. Yeah, it's probably like the equivalent of Jersey to New York. You know, it's just next to next to London. It's the next county over. Yeah, we, we do have a little bit of a catchment area of where we'd like our ground to be. We have a little bit of freedom, probably a bit more freedom than some teams do in terms of they've got to stay in a town that they've always been in. We've got a few towns we could probably go to that would still make sense for us. Yeah, it's not the whole of the country at this point because we have a real a real life community now. And financially, like what is the incentive to start this team, right? Like in my mind, it's almost like you guys are, you're building this team and this community and all these things. But I assume most of the revenue right now, if you don't own the stadium, if you can't monetize the games, is coming from content. Is this kind of just like the ancillary business to the content that allows you to do most of the content? Or like, how do you think about that? Is it that you need to get to a top tier league to make a lot of money? Can it be successful in like a middle tier structure? Like, I'm just trying to think through and, and I assume there's probably no better person to ask than you. <laughs> no, it's a really good question. And to be honest, so th th in terms of the ambition behind the project, like if you'd asked me 10 years ago when I was in my early 20s, what I wanted to do with my life, I would have said, I don't know. But I know that if I do something good and I make money, eventually I'll buy a football club. That's what I would have said to you. I thought I would have done it when I was 60 years old, say. I've managed to find a loophole where I've made it my job. Essentially now I'm more of a GM than I am a, a YouTuber now. Like we still make videos, but I've got staff making those videos. I actually spend my days, you know, looking at bringing in players, negotiating contracts with staff, players, 
trying to buy, buy a football ground. So I'm much more of a, a sports executive now than, than I am a content creator. The club comes first, 100%. You know, if someone said, oh, you can make more money if you don't film your games and you do something else, that's not why we're doing it. We want to tell the story of a football club. All football teams, soccer teams, or I guess sports teams in general, they have some sort of genesis story. Typically in England, the clubs that started 100 years ago or so, they often started out of work-based environments. The team I support is called West Ham. Their original name was the Thames Ironworks because they were all people that worked in an iron factory and made a team together. And that sort of working class background is very typical in soccer across the country. My argument is we're no different. We're just 100 years later. You know, we were working in a different industry and not many people working, not as many people at least, work in those sorts of environments anymore. A lot of people work in social media. We made a team. So that's why we called our team after the thing we worked in. So it's the same. It's just very different because of the time we're in. And in terms of the question about leagues, we don't need to go up. We don't need to have any promotions apart from to tell the story. And it's kind of the reason you do it. It's what makes the English football system so amazing is because you can do it and that dream. So I don't ever want to stop that. We're all competitive. We all want to win every single game. But right now, in terms of the model, you could argue that we're better off being at a lower league where the costs are so much lower. Because every time we get promoted, our costs, in terms of football costs, go up dramatically. The first league we won, 10th tier, no one in our team got a penny to play, not even expenses. And that was common to the league we're in, but there were some that would pay a little bit of money. Second year we won, some players were getting basic expenses. All players were getting basic expenses. We're talking like £50 a week, right? Just covers the petrol. Now we're in a league where there's players in other teams, at least, getting paid £500 a week. You know, that's, that's, that's enough. If you really wanted to, you could live off that if you didn't have anything else on or you really wanted to commit to your football. So you keep expediting that. We're only one or two promotions away from being in a league where a lot of the teams are professional teams. You know, they're full-time. Talking about national leagues, so you're talking about travelling on a train, maybe even an aeroplane. You're talking about staying overnight. The costs just spiral. So the business model right now is actually very well suited to where we are. But we have to keep aspiring to perform. And I do, I want, my ambition for the club is just to go professional. We just need to reinvent perhaps the way the finances work. And either the YouTube views have to increase along with yeah. the leagues you're going in, which isn't necessarily a inevitability, or you find other ways of funding things. That's what I was going to say. It feels like you almost have to multiply your audience base as you start to gain promotions, right? Because if you jump a league and the salaries increase 100% or 200% or 300%, and your audience grows 5%, this kind of disconnect there where you're probably not making enough on the business side to justify getting promoted. Although the goal obviously is to improve the team and, and hopefully people come along with that. Is that the correct way to look at it? For sure. And you've got other challenges as well. Like once you get to professional football, there's TV deals in place, right? So yeah. like in this country, yeah, not every game, but the fourth tier of football, they have deals with Sky. So could we even do what we're doing now? There's a whole lot of gray areas there. Like there is a Premier League footballer right now who's a YouTuber and he films his part of the game. He's a little GoPro. He's a goalkeeper and he puts a GoPro in the net and he films it. And there was a whole challenge about whether he could do that or not because of the rights holders and things like that. So Wait, what is that? Is that even, I guess that's what you're trying to figure out. Is that even allowed? He puts a GoPro? Who is this? It's a guy called Ben Foster. He's a big, he's very well known. He's played for England. Yeah, yeah, okay. I know. Yeah, I know who yeah. he is. I, I didn't realize he did that. He puts a GoPro in the net. Yeah, that's what that's what really kind of launched his channel and kicked it off. He doesn't show the full highlights or the full 90 minutes, but he shows his highlights. Like every time he makes a big save or if he saves a penalty, it's his angle. You hear what he's saying, which obviously you don't get on the TV. We don't have players or refs mic'd up in the same way that you do in American sports. It is a unique angle. 
he's not competing with the TV deal in terms of he might get that video out two days after the games happen, you know? So I think that's why he's got away with it. He's a friend of mine, by the way. Yeah. He's actually talked about playing for Hashtag one day when he, hang, when he hangs up his boots, he wants to come and play for us. But like we'd have a similar problem. We'd probably have it harder because we do film the highlights and we do try and put it out as soon as possible. That would kick in three or four promotions from now. My vision for the club is, like we've done a few investment deals in the past on a small scale, I'm still you know the majority shareholder by some way, but I'm not tied to the club in the sense of like, I have to always be in control of it entirely. I want the club to thrive and I want to be involved in it, whatever happens, because it's my passion. But I think at some point, idea is someone or an organization would come in and see the overall potential of the club which is you know you've got to look at our numbers online in terms of following on social media we have in many platforms more than a lot of premier league teams and we haven't even really done the local bit yet so once you take what we do online take the reach we have and you look at the kind of network of platforms that someone would be investing in with hashtag united and you combine that with what we're starting to do in the local community and eventually we'll get a ground. We'll get a ground ourselves. If no one else invests in hashtag, we'll be able to sort all that. But outside of that, we're talking about getting to professional football. We'd need someone to have that vision and buy into it in a big way, which we'd be very open to. Yeah, I was going to ask if you guys had raised money. It sounds like you've raised a little bit of money, at least from an outside investor perspective, whether that's current Premier League players or past ones or other people. But I was going to ask because this seems like it'd be a good opportunity for outside investors, right? If you think about how many teams have been scooped up recently, maybe not eighth tier or whatever it is, but certainly the second, third or fourth, something along those lines where people are trying to get to a higher level, right? Multiply revenue by three, four, five times. And then you can sell these franchises or these organizations for a multiple of that. It seems like you guys bring something interesting to the table, which a lot of clubs haven't been able to do, which is revenue items outside of football, right? Outside of soccer. Yeah, we're kind of like the opposite of your classic club. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Ryan Reynolds and, and Rob McElhenney, who got yep. Wrexham. So Wrexham in the fifth tier. So they're not even in a, in a fully professional league. They are professional and every team in that league is professional. But in terms of the way it's structured, they're technically not. So they're only three promotions away from us. right? And we've already done two in two, right? So if we wanted to, we could get probably to that league. I, I'm not saying we don't want to. I'm saying what I don't want to do is get to a league where we can't sustain the club and we haven't had that investment. And then we're like, oh, now we're just... What do we do now? All the money's spent. I'm not going to let that happen until we've got a plan. So with Wrexham, though, they're like the opposite of us. So what Rob and Ryan invested in there is a, one of the oldest clubs in the world, very famous, very traditional fan base that will fill that stadium, certainly once they've come in and they've made it very exciting again as a story, that they have the bricks and mortar soccer football model sorted. What they didn't have was really anyone know who they were outside of Wales, which is where they're based, right? Most people probably think they're in England because most of the teams in the English football system are, but there is a few Welsh clubs, Wrexham are one of them. We're the opposite. We have a lot of people in lots of countries know who we are as a club and watch our videos. Maybe we're a lot of people's second team. Maybe they support Manchester United and hashtag, but we don't have that 10, 15, 20,000 seat of stadium that's being filled up every week because we quite frankly haven't earned it yet. We haven't been around long enough to create those links in the community and those traditions that just need familial links to create. You know, in England, traditionally, you support your soccer team because your dad or your mum told you to because it's the team they were brought up on. Well, most of our fans haven't got kids. <laughs> you know, they will one day and that's going to happen. But we've got to put the hours in. We've got to put the years in and earn that bit. But we have got an exceptional other side of our model. So there'll be an investor out there this is the right project for who wants, you know, to really be the, the forefront of a different kind of soccer team. There's a place in the world for us. We're not trying to say the whole of soccer has to go our direction at all. We're just saying 
it's worth having a seat at the table for someone like us. You know, there's a team called Forest Green Rovers who are a third tier English team. And they're completely unique to us. The guy that bought into them is a big believer in environmental friendly energy and veganism. And he's turned the club into, you know, an unbelievable flagship for that side of things in the world of soccer. You've got a really environmentally friendly and sustainable stadium. They only serve vegan food at that stadium. You know, he's got a lot of money. The guy he's developed in other industries, but he uses it as a vehicle to push that. And I think we could be something similar, not necessarily for the same messages, although I do enjoy the, personally the forest green message, but for a different kind of message, which is linking people together using social media, using technology, using the internet. Yeah, I love that. Wrexham is a good example, right? Because I remember when they did that deal, it almost felt like they were buying a club for the content play, right? To your point of, obviously there's heritage there and, and I'm sure they enjoy the, the football side of it and, and the history and all of that. But at the same time, I know that they were looking at streaming deals and, and kind of what had happened with, what is the one on Netflix, Sunderland Till I Die, right? Like yes, something similar yeah, yeah, to that, yeah. right? Or like all or nothing on, on yeah. Amazon, which is obviously catered towards a top tier team, but you get the point. It felt like they were basically using that to start creating content, which is to your previous point was like flipping your model on its head of you guys have one side better than the other, and then they'll have the other side and, and who can develop them both, right? I'm curious, like how much money would you really need to build this thing at a sustainable point in the, we'll call it fourth, fifth division? In terms of just how much does it cost to, to be a club at that level? Like investment, like how much money would you actually need to bring in to be able to do something like that? Yeah, well, I think this is one of the problems in many ways with soccer in general is that a lot of people have bought clubs in the past and they've just gone, how much did it cost to run this team? And they sort of write that money off. Yeah. And it's like, oh, as long as I can afford to put that much money in every year. And obviously that we're trying to change that as a sport. We're trying to be more sustainable. We're trying to have clubs have to operate. So I look at it more as it'd be great if someone come up to me and said, oh, I'm going to give you 10 million quid. I want you to get to this league and hopefully we'll be able to turn the club in and they want to, they want to make some money on their shares, whatever it is they want to do. But I want to look at it as more as what is the optimum position of this club to be thriving the best it can be. Now, if that comes with us getting to the Premier League, amazing. Is it possible? Would it be an unbelievable story? It would, it would probably be one of the best, in my opinion, I'm biased, but one of the best sort of soccer stories, at least ever. This team that was created in the noughties, you know, not even in, you know, back in the 1900s, not even in, in the 2016. It's not even that long ago. Six years we are old and was created from nothing, basically created by the audience. And then we've looked at things like that as well. We've considered, do we sell equity to the audience, for example? And that's not something we've never we've taken off the table, but something that right at this current point in time, we haven't felt the need yeah. to do it yet. And it's almost like, right, if we ever need to do that, or if we ever think that it's going to help, the, a lot of clubs are going that way in, in soccer that fall on hard times. And that's kind of the point I was making is you get a lot of clubs, someone comes in, they inject a load of money, and in a few years, they take their money out and the club just falls down the levels. And as someone who's been brought up as a huge football fan in that environment, we started this, this chat by talking about Wimbledon. It's exactly what happened to Wimbledon. So Wimbledon, yes, they did climb up the leagues. Yes, they did win the FA Cup. But they're also a really good lesson to be learned there, whereby basically the club ran out of money. They did a, a very American thing, which very rarely happens in England, which is they're actually the only club that I know have ever done this, which is moved from Wimbledon to Milton Keynes, which is basically half a country away. It's very, very controversial. They changed their name. So they became MK Dons, Milton Keynes Dons. And what happened to Wimbledon is they went down to the very bottom of the pyramid. They started again in the same league that we started in. I mean, now they've been saved by their fans and they're back in League One now, which is only the third tier, which is where they've kind of leveled out. Because the original Wimbledon have probably gone, they'd sort of gone a little bit too far once the Premier League money came in. They didn't really have it. So it's a little bit of a, a warning to what could happen to us. I could easily 
put all our money into players, get us up leagues, continue that upward trajectory for the next few years, and then find myself in a situation where I don't know what to do anymore because it costs too much to run the team. Yeah, it's not sustainable, right? If you're if you're paying out millions no. of dollars in annual salaries and you get to these higher leagues and then you're like, oh shit, what do I do? I need to bring in more money or investors or revenue or something like that. I assume too, part of this is you're not guaranteed to win either, right? Like even if you were to go pay players more money, once you get to those higher leagues, it becomes much more difficult to guarantee that you're going to win and get promoted. I think that's what Salford City are finding. These guys, I think, have probably got the most funds available to them of that league. And they haven't even got into the playoffs yet since they've been in, in League Two, you know. And they obviously want to change that, but it's a completely different premise to doing the first few promotions that they've done and, and whatnot. It's a lot harder. It's a lot more competition. There's a lot more money. So, yeah, it's exactly right. Money doesn't guarantee success. I think it's all relative. You know, if you're at the leagues we're at now and you've got a certain amount of money, nothing's guaranteed when you get one guaranteed promotion spot in the league. But you could easily outspend your fellow teams. But once you get into professional football and you have things like financial fair play come in, it's got to be managed properly. So that's what excites me personally. If you said to me, Spencer, I can guarantee you, hashtag will get to the Premier League in the next 10 years, but it will be dead in 15 years, I wouldn't take the deal. Which sounds crazy because it would be, if I was doing this for an ego trip, I would. Because I could say, I took the club to the Premier League and look at this and I could, you know, sort of move away from it and I would have done pretty well out of it. I could probably go and get any job in football I wanted if I took hashtag to the Premier League, to be honest. But... That's not what I made this for. I made this to be an actual football club. And I want it to be a football club for as long as possible. You know, I want my son to play for Hashtag United one day, if he's good enough. If he's not good enough, he can just make his own team and put himself in it like I did. <laughs> you left out one part, though. Hashtag would be in the Premier League in 10 years, out in 15 years, because they'd be one of the first teams to join the Super League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another one. It's like, as a, as a football fan, the Super League is not something I like or, or agree with. But then the hashtag, I was kind of like, this could be our, our route in. We've got the followers. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, an example of where football at the higher level has got to. And it's another reason why I love what we do at Hashtag so much, to be honest, because I think a lot of people, maybe around my age, maybe other ages as well, found themselves getting a little bit disenfranchised with top-level football because of how, how much money there's involved and how clearly certain decisions are not being made for the sport's best interest. They're being made like, playing games in certain places or sending World Cups to certain places or increasing amount of fixtures when there's already maybe too many. I think that it's easy to see what the priority is for mainstream or top level football, I should say, whereas you come down a little bit to where we are and there's a lot more of what mainstream top level football probably was like in the 60s and 70s. You know, the players have all got other jobs. They're doing it for the love of the game, mostly. You have a little bit more of a local element to the club. So obviously I'm all for finding talent and bringing talent to your team. But a lot of the boys are playing our team and girls in our women's team will be from the area and represent that area. And I think that's a really nice thing about sport that sometimes we lose a lot now at the highest levels. We lose that identity of a team. And that's something I, you know, ironically, as someone who hasn't got a place name in their team, I do like the idea of people in your team representing where the club's from in some way. Not, not all of them, but I think I've always been in favor of, of leagues that have rules about that sort of thing. You know, you've got to have a certain amount of homegrown players or certain amount of players from that country, at least at the top level. So, yeah, I think we're losing that a little bit at the top of the game. And I think that's where we can, like I said, we're many people's second team. We can give you a different version of your football fix every week. You watch all your Premier League stuff or whatever it is. And then you watch a little bit of hashtag too. What do you guys think about Major League Soccer over there? What's like the general thought on the league and more specifically, I guess, like how much, if, if any, that you guys think that's grown? I mean, I'm a big fan of soccer across the board. I'm a big fan of American sports in general. And I think there's a lot 
England can learn from them. Although there's some things that are just non-negotiable for me, like the promotion relegation thing. Like that's just... Yeah, I wish they had that here in North America. It's just so good. They could use that because there's teams, if you look across American sports, and, and this is sort of a rant to some degree, they're not incentivized to make the team good, right? Like if you look at the Oakland A's, they're the perfect yeah. example this year in Major League Baseball. I don't know how much, if any, you guys or people over there follow American baseball, but... I'm actually doing a project with Major League Baseball. I'm technically a Chicago Cubs player right now. I don't know if you know this. Have you heard of the Home Run Derby? I know about the Home Run Derby. Are you participating in it? Well, yeah, because there's there's a new thing called the Home Run Derby X. So they have okay. wild cards on each team. I'm playing for the Cubs in that. No way. Like during All-Star Weekend? No, it's his own project. So I was in North okay. Carolina and Chicago last week doing training camp. We have an event in England in about a month. We have an event in South Korea, Mexico, and then the final in America in November. So I've been introduced to baseball through that. That's a new thing. I wasn't particularly knowledgeable of baseball. What do you mean training camp? Like you guys are at the batting cage or like? Yeah, no, we went to this, this whole sort of facility. First of all, I threw the opening pitch at a Cubs game. All right, that's cool. At Wrigley? Yeah, Wrigley against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then we went to North Carolina for a whole training camp. We had like three or four guys of World Series rings training us. I mean, I've been training myself in England for the last three months. I hit a few home runs, by the way, and I've only I've only been playing baseball since March. It's really fun. We 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 had a whole like week there, and they were putting us through our paces. And what is the goal of this for Major League Baseball? Well, I think the goal of the Home Run Derby X specifically is part of their project in branching baseball outside of the states. Gotcha. Like the four teams are the Cubs, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Red Sox. And every team we have a legend of the team. So as a Gio Soto is our Cubs legend. He used to be a catcher for the Cubs. Yep. We have a rookie who's not been drafted yet. We have a female superstar pro softball player, and they have a wild card has to be someone that's never played baseball before. And the four wild cards we've got, one's an Olympic medal-winning gymnast from Mexico, and one's an Olympic medal-winning speed skater from Korea. Uh, the other is British as well. And so we're doing events in those territories, I imagine because MLB have identified those territories as places they want to grow baseball in. Gotcha. So that's why we go. It's like a tour, if you like, of events. So you're competing in a home run derby against Olympians. That sounds great. Yes, but I got the most in the practice event. And I'm definitely the least talented sportsman of the four. But hey. I got the most. I'm also the tallest by quite some way. And I think that helped me. I was going to say, if I was a betting man, I would place bets on you. Because at least I know that you can hit a home run now that you just said you've already done it. Yeah, but it's the other guys hit a few as well. And, and I have to admit one thing. The home run derby X, they do bring the boundary in a little bit. So it's only 350 feet. <laughs> it's not 400 feet. Is it a wooden bat or it's a metal bat? I've been training with wood, but we're, we're doing... This is the metal bat they gave me. This is the one we're using in the events. Metal bat. And you hit off a stage as well. Okay. And obviously, as you've seen in the home run derby, the pitcher's on your team. Yeah. It's not throwing some 100 mile an hour ball at you. You know, trying to get you out. Trying to give it into you. Yeah, well, we went off topic a bit, but the reason why I use the yeah. uh, the athletics or the, the A's is because no one's going to their games anymore because the stadium's not very good. They're not competitive. They keep gutting the team and lowering the payroll. And basically what they're doing is they're either trying to make more money or move the team to an area where they can make more money, right? So yeah, yeah. you have this weird situation where you're not incentivized because there's no penalty, right? If you're not going to get relegated. The worse you do, you get a better draft pick as well, right? So it's like... yeah. If anything, is a reward. It's worse being mediocre, probably. Well, in, in our type of football, American football, the NFL, there's actually been teams recently that have gotten in trouble or, or allegations have at least come out against them where they were incentivizing the coaches or players with money to lose games because that would give them better draft picks, right? So you get this, this yeah. weird scenario where not only are you not incentivized to win, but you're actually incentivizing them to lose because... The owners want better players and you're, you get better players if you win. Mm. So the incentives are, are all messed up. All right. One of the last few things I want to talk about, though, is the esports. Like, how does that business work for you guys? 
Yeah, so esports is a, a very different place, obviously, to where mainstream football is. So my background in that is alongside my videos, I used to also present esports content for the game FIFA. This was before there was any esports sort of leagues or any even esports organizations playing FIFA. It was more like standalone events they would do to try and find a great FIFA player. And an event called the FIFA Interactive World Cup, I used to present that. I still present that. The players in it were all amateur. But then what I realized was that wasn't going to be the case for long because esports was on the growth, huge across all different verticals of esports. I thought it's inevitable it's going to happen for FIFA. So I actually created a FIFA esports team before there was any events for the players to play in. We did a whole series on YouTube. And we, the winner got to win a contract with us. It's like the apprentice sort of thing for, for East P for esports. And everyone was like, yeah, we like the series, Spence, but, you know, what are you doing with the player? But I knew it was coming. So we were straight at it. So the first ever pro event we won against the likes, it was in Paris against the likes of PSG, Man City, you know, huge football organizations. And then since then, we've been up there for the last five years now, six years even, competing with them on a regular basis. We've got one of our boys who just qualified for the playoffs, which is one of the big events of the year. He played in the E-Champions League this year. So... With football and esports, it's obviously so different to traditional esports, whereby you've got a huge ecosystem of sporting events to base the esports calendar around. They're kind of trying to emulate, and I think it's the right thing to emulate real football because you're not trying to compete with it. You're not going to say, oh, you're going to watch people play FIFA instead of play football. We want you to say, oh, if you're a big football fan, you like your football team's esports team as well, or you like watching it. Whereas with Call of Duty, you know, you can't go and watch the army. So, you know, Call of Duty has that on lock, you know, they're only competing with other shooting games. So with esports, yeah. that's, to be honest, one of the main reasons we did that, apart from my own passion and interest in the space, was because of the amount of people investing in that side of things. And it was knowing that my belief, and it's still my belief, is that a true soccer team now has to be an esports team too. They don't have to play all the other esports games, but they have to have a presence in the soccer esports titles, such as FIFA. Football Manager, whomever. UFL is our sponsors now. They're a new game coming out. So we looked at it as the same. We didn't look at it. So when other teams have come into it, even though they're huge teams, they kind of look at it understandably. They've got the soccer where they're making the hundreds of millions of dollars from and they've got this stuff going on. And they're like, oh, but we'll do a little esports thing because that will keep the kids happy. Or, you know, or that will be just in case that kicks off, we'll be there. Whereas we went, no, we're a football and esports team. That's what we are from day one. We're not an esports team because we think it's going to win some votes. We're an esports team. We're a football club. And a football club has a real-life football team and it has an esports football team. So we don't do other esports. We don't do anything else in any of the other games. We thought about it at one point, but we're like, no, let's stay in our lane. I don't know stuff about that. And it's quite frankly very expensive to get into some of those esports titles because of how big they already are. This is what we are. We're a football club. So let's focus on that. So much so that our esports players tend to play football as well. Some of them even played in our team. We had this like, little period where we had a player who was good enough to play for the first team and he was a pro FIFA player, which was crazy. So we're always looking for these little stories like that. We actually were, you might like this, Joe, we're the first club in the history of FIFA Esports to sell a player. We sold a player last year. It was on Sky Sports. Wait, how, how does that work? So we sold him to another esports organization. He was under contract with us as a pro FIFA player and we sold him. And that had never been done before? In FIFA, no. It had been done in other esports okay. games lot, lots of times, but... We treated it very much as a football transfer. Traditional. It was on Sky Sports. Yeah. It was big news. And I think it, you're going to see that a lot more in the future. That was another first we were at the heart of. And he's a player called Tom, very good player. That excites me. It excites me as a, um, someone who's involved in this space, even if it's not my team. 
because it just shows you the way the, the space is growing. And from the FIFA side, is that more of a content play also, or do you make money from actually winning the competitions too? The money you can make is, is I mean, it's way better than it was. Don't get me wrong. I'm certainly not complaining. The first FIFA Interactive World Cup I ever presented, the winner won $20,000. Yeah. Now it's close to 300 grand. There you go. It's a lot bigger. Yeah. But obviously that's an individual prize. So as a club, you might take a cut of that, a small cut, based on the deal you've got with your players. Some clubs take up to 50%. Some clubs take nothing. Depends on the deal. We're not paying for itself, certainly through, through prize money whatsoever. It's being really paid for through sponsorships. Like, for example, this is our eSports jersey right here. We have a different jersey. That's our eSports jersey. Different to our, our home and away shirt. And LucasAid are our eSports sponsor specifically. They do, we do have a few things we do with them in the football. They're the energy drink. But they're our eSports sponsors. So them, along with other partners, we have these headsets. Astro are also a sponsor of ours. And I'm doing a massive ad here, but I'm just letting, giving you the concept, the ideas behind it. So these guys will sponsor us. Obviously, they're appearing content. We make content that goes on our YouTube channel. We cover the events. We tend to generally, not always, but we tend to have players or attract players that have, they're very happy to make content and very good at that sort of thing as well. It's part of the selling point of coming to hashtag is that if you're good at that side of things, you're probably going to create your own individual fan base as a result of playing for hashtag. So we tend to attract players who don't mind doing that sort of thing. And yeah, and that's where it all comes from. So yeah, if we won a massive event in esports, we'd, we'd get a bit of money out of it. If we sold a player, we'd get a bit of money out of it. But mainly it's the sponsors that are, in the same way as the football team, funding it all. And what do you guys provide to the players? Like what makes them want to come play for you? And from an esports perspective, they're, they're full-time athletes. Athletes, you know, is a word that I often use with esports that some people don't like. They're full-time, they're paid a wage. You know, we, we cover their, their costs. Depends, I mean, there's players in esports. In the same in football, we're not the highest players in our league. We're not the highest players in our esports league because I try to run very sustainably. Like I've, I've read Moneyball. And I like all these things. I, li I like that approach to sport, and that's kind of how I like to do it as an individual. But there's players in FIFA esports that are making more than £10,000 a month. You know, that's probably like $15,000 or $13,000 or something. So you can do pretty well. That's, that's nothing to do with prize money. That's just their basic pay. We're not paying players anywhere near that amount, but they're getting enough to, to live a comfortable life. Obviously, yeah, they can make they can supplement their income, one, through winnings, but also through their own content. Streaming is a big part of esports players. And if you stream for hashtag, like as in your associated hashtag, it might bring a few more viewers your way, which therefore supplements your income even more. So that's one of the big appeals to playing for the clubs. You can build your own brand yep. as well as obviously having your own contract. And we've, we've got quite a good track record of finding talent. Try to think of an equivalent. Well, in football, it'd be like almost like an Ajax model from Holland very good at finding players can we keep them for three four years they prove themselves they go and win a huge competition and then maybe they start getting offers that I'm not prepared to give them the money that amount of money I say to them look it's a good time for you to go and move on and get that big deal because the thing about esports is we're competing with teams who have huge budgets they can bring from another part of the business so let's say Man City and PSG they can just choose how much money they want their esports budget to be I'll throw a millionaire this year whatever, it doesn't touch the sides because of how much money they have from their, their football teams and their owners. Everything has to make sense with us. So one thing I don't talk about a lot because it doesn't, it doesn't sound very exciting, but I'm actually very proud of is from day one, actually not day one, but from year one, we have been profit generating. Now, if you look at what we've done, it's unheard of. Like we have people coming into this space spending an inordinate amount of money. I'm talking millions, if not tens of millions of pounds to try and become huge esports orgs that haven't got anywhere near the followers we have. And we have done it with zero marketing budget, pretty much. Like genuinely, we've never spent a penny on marketing and we've never made a loss. 
Whereas you've got other teams that will come in. We see them throw millions of pounds at making shiny videos, getting these brand ambassadors, whatever. And then they cease to exist after a year or two because it was, it was built on sand. It wasn't built on a real fan base that we've actually cultivated and created over really 10 plus years that I've been doing YouTube or certainly the last six hashtags been around. You know who you remind me of and, and maybe as someone outside of like the gaming community, maybe it sounds great. Maybe it sounds absurd. I don't know. But Nade Shot. Yeah. The reason why I say that is because it takes a unique individual that creates content for themselves and does well for themselves from like an audience standpoint to think bigger than that, right? And most people would keep creating content, maybe figure out ways to branch out themselves, whether it's merchandise or, or brand deals or whatever it is, but monetize their own brand. And there's very few people that have the ability, not, not only willingness, but the ability to go build something much bigger, right? So that's obviously what he's done and is doing with 100 Thieves. But I feel like you're running a similar playbook where you had that initial audience or that hardcore audience that, that you brought with your own channels. And you've now transported that to another organization or another entity that you're building up even bigger than just what yourself could be, which I feel like is fascinating because it's a, it's a different model than most people take in this space. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of what Nature's done. I've spoke to him a little bit and he, for me, there's certain things that they just do so well, 100 Thieves, in terms of the branding side of it, the marketing side, the merchandise side, that they're just absolutely bossing it. Yeah. There's a lot of crossovers, for sure. The big comparison, I guess, that's been made before with me and Nadeshot is obviously we both came from being our own sort of YouTubers or creators and created something that we wanted to be bigger than ourselves. And that's, I mean, it's very clear that that's something I want with hashtags to the point where I barely upload on my own channel, which is sitting there with 2 million subscribers, because I wanted to create something that has long term, you know, way beyond if I want to make or if people want to watch videos I make, long term a future. A hundred feeds are a great example. It's a little bit different with regards to obviously we're playing in the in the sort of sporting world where there's a league structure and you've got to start at the bottom, etc. Whereas with what they do and the, the way it kind of has gone with major esports sort of franchise element. And they were able to then go and get huge investment, of course. So that's one thing I they're a bit further on their journey, I would say, in terms of they went and got that huge Big names as well came in, like Scooter Braun and all these guys that got involved. And then they were able to go and spend the money they need to spend. But even then, they made quite controversial choices, like deciding not to spend the money to go into Call of Duty when it did go down the franchise route originally, even though his whole background was in Call of Duty, because they thought it was a bad deal. And I respected that massively. And it obviously worked itself out in the end. So, yeah, I mean, I would, I'd love us to go down the route. I think it's a slight different angle. People that want to invest in us down the esports side of things, yeah, I mean, Anyone can see where FIFA is going to probably go and maybe other, other titles could go. If you just look at how many people play the game and buy the game, it's inevitability that it's only going to get bigger and bigger. And we're at the very heart of it. We're the best supported team in FIFA esports, fact. I'm not saying we're better supported than Manchester City Football Club, but we're certainly better supported than their esports team are. And that's something that I'm very proud of. But if we want to continue to compete at that level, top level, as the, as the money increases, 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 and we want to compete and go up, football leagues to the point of professional we are going to need those kind of characters to come in and understand what we're trying to do not just trying to get us there so we can say we got there but trying to get us there and get us to stay there i lied about the last question what's going on with fifa's video game i know that they're obviously have a dispute with ea now and they're going to stop making it together and they're going to kind of go branch out and do their own things how does that change things for you guys if at all well yeah i mean in terms of what happens Going forward, I know as much as you do, really. They're keeping it very close to the chest. It sounds like there's going to be a separation of some kind based on the announcements that have been put out, and it will change the name of the game. I always remember, so Football Manager is a game I'm very familiar with, I don't know if you are. It's very popular, and that had a very similar thing happen to it probably about 
15 years ago where the, the makers of the game and the publishers, there were two different agencies or whatever organizations, they split up. and One got the name and one got the team that made the game. And the team that made the game ultimately won. People, it used to be called Championship Manager. And everyone thought, there's no way anyone will buy another game called something else. But Football Manager had the people that made the game. And it's actually a better name anyway, Football Manager. That's the one that everyone plays now. Championship Manager doesn't exist. So I, I mean, I'm sure the guys at FIFA have got it all covered with that, EA, I should say. So one of the very most complicated parts of that part of my job is you have events that I present, for example. They're all based on the video game FIFA. But some are run by EA Sports and some are run by FIFA, the organization who are also the governing body of football. And there's almost like that little bit of conflict sometimes as to who's making the best events. So I think hopefully this is all going to get sorted out at some point and everyone will know where they stand. Yeah, EA, it's going to be very difficult for people to challenge that space, although there are people trying to do it. Like I mentioned, UFL, which is a game we're working with now, it hasn't been released yet. And obviously Pro Evolution Soccer has been around for a long time as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's plenty to keep them on their toes. I don't know what's going to happen in terms of the game, though, long term. At the moment, it seems like it's going to change its name. Yeah, it seems like EA is going to keep doing what they're doing because they're making so much money doing it and just change the name. And then FIFA will probably try to create their own or monetize it in different ways. So yeah. we'll see what ends up happening from like a user standpoint. I don't know if consumers are going to switch over or just say, hey, name change doesn't really matter to us. We're going to keep playing the same game. So It'll be interesting, but Spencer, this was awesome, dude. Thank you so much for doing this. I had a lot of fun. I'm wishing you the best of luck. I love what you're doing. I love what you guys are doing. To me, it's awesome to see someone take like this traditional model of, of football or soccer and turn it on its head, man. You guys are attracting new fans from all over the world, completely different audience, and you're doing it your own way, which is awesome to see and great to chat with you about. Where can I send people if they want to learn more about you guys or yourself specifically on the internet to find you guys? Yeah, great. Thank you, Joe. So hashtag United is our YouTube channel. You can type in hashtag United and it will come up. In terms of our handles, it's hashtag UTD or one word. So that's on Instagram, it's on Twitter. Myself, I'm Spencer Owen or Spen FC on Instagram. And yeah, I've also got a YouTube channel called Spencer FC. But hashtag is the one we really want to get people talking about because I think it's, it's a really interesting project. We're very happy about what we're doing and very proud of trying to create a yeah, different way of doing things basically amazing we'll have to do this again in seven years when you make it to the premier league <laughs> or, or after i after i win the home run derby x <laughs> we could do that too we might have to add in some video <laughs> clips so people have context about how amazing or how poor your swing is depending on how it turns out <laughs> well if people go on my instagram i'm about to publish a video today of my practice swings in in north carolina you can see some of my home runs let me know what you think. Spend FC on Instagram. I will I will most certainly link to that in the description. <laughs> but Spencer, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.